0: Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome back to Talk Nation Radio Chip Gibbons. Chip Gibbons is Policy and Legislative Counsel for Defending Rights and Dissent, as well as a journalist. His work has been featured in The Nation and Jacobin, and he is a contributing uh he's contributed to the henry kissinger files which is forthcoming from verso books uh chip given uh wrote an article for the nation just recently called the prosecution of inauguration day protesters is a threat to dissent uh and i am convinced he's right uh chip welcome back to talk nation radio
1: thank you for having me on again it's always a pleasure
0: so what is the what is the story? You know, you think some of these things they're gonna they're gonna wait a while and then back off the craziness and not really follow through, but uh, they actually are trying to prosecute uh, two hundred people for pro- for protesting Donald Trump's inauguration. Is this accurate?
1: Yes. So I too thought <laughs> early on they would back off the craziness as well. I mean, I was very shocked when. They arrested 234 people in an incident of kettling. I mean, that used to happen more frequently in D.C. during the World Bank demonstration days, but the city got sued and they passed laws against kettling. So, I mean, it wasn't a total surprise. But then they turned around and indicted people with felony charges. And I'm like, well, that's not going to last. You can't charge 214 people with, with felonies from a protest. And then they got a superseding indictment, and brought eight felony charges against 214 people. So they've just continued down this road. It's really, really shocking. So I'll I'll start from the beginning. I mean, on January 20th, as I think most people know, Donald Trump was inaugurated, and a lot of people don't like Donald Trump for a number of reasons. So there was protest during his inauguration. There was a number of events that day, one of which was an anti-capitalist, anti-fascist march. And during the anti-capitalist, anti-fascist march, police alleged that property damage took place, uh, nonetheless, in spite of this allegation, instead of uh, taking actions against individuals whom they had, in theory, had probable cause to arrest for this property damage, they continued to follow the march for about 30 minutes before encircling it completely and engaging in what's called kettling. Titling is an unconstitutional, indiscriminate or of mass arrest where you arrest everybody within a given geographical location. It's unconstitutional because uh, under the Fifth Amendment you need or Fourth Amendment, you need to arrest somebody, individualized, a probable cause based on individualized suspicion, and you don't have individualized suspicion for everybody within a, a certain radius. And the... Uh, Office of Police Complaints, the official D.C. body, in its report on the inauguration, said, oh, it's not our jurisdiction to make a determination about the probable cause of the arrest, but seems very likely it was lacking and that proximity was the basis, not probable cause of the arrest. So they sweep up these 234 people. This includes journalists, about nine journalists, uh, medics, legal observers, people who have done nothing wrong. And they, they hold them under very wretched um, conditions, uh, apparently. And then they charge them with a single count of, of felony rioting. And then uh, a few months later, they come back and they bring eight felony counts against 214 people, including a felony engaging in a riot, felony conspiracy to riot, felony inciting a riot, and all these property damage counts. So they are literally charging 214 people with breaking the same Starbucks window. And it's, I think anybody who is um, familiar with windows and people, it's pretty humanly impossible for 214 people to simultaneously break the same window. And the prosecution freely can that. So their theory of the case, and it's been called a conspiracy theory for good reasons, is that the entire assembly is unlawful And thus, by participating in it, you've committed a crime. By going to this protest, you are guilty of the property damage, even if you never yourself threw a brick or did anything wrong. And if you look at the indictments they brought down, most of the defendants aren't actually named in the description of the event in the indictments. And most of the alleged criminal activity in the indictments aren't crimes. They're things like, the people were wearing black clothes that were matching, or they were chanting, "Whose streets? Our streets?" You know, and this is the evidence they're using of conspiracy, of rioting, of a of, of sort of a master plan here to, to I guess, cause trouble. And and the people were facing seventy five years in prison uh, based on this legal theory. Since since then, two of the felony charges for all of the protesters were reduced to misdemeanors. The reason being is that felony engaging in a riot is not a crime under the D.C. Uh, statute. If you just had read the statute yourself, you would have noticed that. So the prosecutors charged them with a made-up offense. This is the second time this had happened. They had also brought a misdemeanor assaulting an officer stat uh, charge against the protesters under a statute that no longer existed, had been repealed, So that one was dismissed as well. So it's not a particularly competent prosecution, but so for all of the protesters, they've had their eight felony charges reduced to six. They're facing 60 years instead of 75. And then there's a a subgroup here, because they're trying them uh, in in different—they're not trying them all at once, they're trying them in different groups—there's a subgroup here of people who are going to trial on December the 13th, and they've had all of their charges Reduced by the prosecutors to just three misdemeanors, there's just no explanation as to why that happened and what that means to the other defendants. But this week, right now, there are seven defendants on trial. Jury selection started on Monday. They're facing the full six felony charges. They include Alexi Wood, who is a journalist, one of two journalists um, who are still facing felony charges. The other being Aaron Cantu, as well as a registered nurse who was acting as a medic. I mean, and, and the arresting of the protesters is outrageous, and we should condemn it. But the trying of the nurse and the journalist really proves the insidious and corrosive nature of the prosecution's legal theory here. I mean, the journalists were just doing their job. They were covering the protest and the types of things that the prosecutors alleged they did. Uh, they claimed the one journalist was wearing black, I guess. You know, never were black is, I think, a takeaway here. Um, And he was moving in proximity with the march. They also got some evidence from the right wing group Project Veritas. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But so basically, by being a journalist and by being there, you know, you're guilty. So that's criminalizing journalism as well. Uh, With one of the journalists, Alexi Wood, he was a live streamer. So his own video shows very clearly he didn't engage in property damage, but um, at one point I think something is damaged and he left out a, uh, a woe, a woe noise, and, and I think the prosecution is trying to argue that that woe was, you know, um, encouraging or inciting of, of the violence as opposed to just sort of a natural reaction to an event occurring. So it's, it's just an absolutely... Absurd prosecution. If it wasn't involving people going to jail for possibly 60 years, it would be laughable. But because it's so serious, it is a really, really disturbing and insidious prosecution.
0: Chip Gibbons, it sounds like on the day Donald Trump came into office in Washington, D.C., a whole brand new bunch of uh, top officials of a police force uh, arrived with just his level of competence and just his political ideology. I mean, who is who's behind this? What's the motivation? Why do this now, uh, or rather, you know, better part of a year ago now, uh, and not on other occasions? Who, who, who made this decision?
1: That's a really interesting question, and I've, I've pondered that myself. So DC, because it's not a state, it's sort of a um, almost colonial-like status within within the U.S. federal system. They don't have state prosecutors, so the DC prosecutors work for the Department of Justice. So it is the Department of Justice bringing these charges. So technically, they answer to Trump up the chain of command, but it's the local branch of the DOJ that does DC stuff. So it is, in fact, the Trump administration trying its own critics. But how much sway would Trump have or does have over this, I don't know. Another really interesting thing, though, is this happened, as I mentioned, I think a number of times back during the World Bank days, people were kettled, they were arrested. Uh, And one of the worst instances of mass arrest where the city got sued for millions of dollars, uh, a police officer named Peter um, Newsman gave the arrest order and he gave without warning or notice or anything like that, and he got sued over it. Peter Newsman was the acting police chief on January 20th, and he's now the Metropolitan Police Chief in spite of the fact that he has a record of, you know, violating the rights of demonstrators. So that's a really interesting thing, that this guy did this in 2002, then he comes back and it's all of a sudden, you know, these same types of abuses are happening again. So I think there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, I mean, there's also just an increasingly hostile um, environment for dissent in this country. We've seen a number of states uh, try to pass anti-protest bills, doing everything from you know immunizing people who run over protesters with their cars to trying to impose criminal and civil liability on entire groups of protesters for the actions of a few. Arizona actually considered a bill that did not pass that would have allowed protest organizers to be tried under the RICO Act, you know, uh, racketeering charges, what's supposed to be used against organized crime and the mob for the actions of individuals at their protest who would commit acts of vandalism. So if you organize a protest, you announce it publicly on, on Facebook as, as you announce things, and a stranger shows up and then breaks a the window, you're now facing the same types of charges as, as the mafia, would would face although that was not passed but i think the thing about that is the logic is so similar it's about attempting to impose collective liability on people who protest and the impact of that of course is going to be a chilling effect if i think if i go to a protest and somebody i don't know throws a brick i'm going to go to jail for six decades I might just stay home. I might say the risk isn't worth it. I might I might decide to stay home that day. And and you know I think prosecutors know that. I think lawmakers know that. And I think I think that's what they want.
0: And this particular prosecution has gone beyond just these two hundred some people uh, in the sense that the prosecutors have sought information on anybody who signed up on a website about the protest or even liked the protest on a Facebook page and, and so forth. Isn't isn't that part of the, the problem here?
1: One of the most fascinating things about this entire case, entire series of events, it's just one abuse has spawned other abuses. It, it's just been like an entirely out-of-control process. So you start with this illegal, unconstitutional mass arrest, then you get this crazy legal theory about felony liability, and then in order to prove it, the Department of Justice is attempting to ex- or attempted to execute and did these warrants against DreamHost, which hosted the disruptj20.org website, as well as Facebook accounts for Disrupt J Twenty and three organizers who were never charged with a crime. And I mean, the prosecution has sought to, t- to portray Disrupt J 20org as a website dedicated to organizing a premeditated riot. Um, I don't know if you ever visited J20.org or not. I suspect a lot of people did, obviously. Uh, they were trying to get 1.3 million IP addresses of people who did, so a lot did. Um, But it was just a clearinghouse of information about all of the different protests that were happening that day. But just people who
0: visited it, not signed up for it or applauded it or gave money, just visited it?
1: The original warrant from DOJ, they would have gotten the 1.3 million IP addresses of the visitors after public outrage. They dropped that demand. Um, I was actually at the hearing for the case. It was quite um, humorous in a dark way. Uh, The prosecutors claimed they never meant to ask for that data. They had no idea web providers had that data. And then the lawyer for DreamHost turned around and said, that's not true. In your warrant, you specifically ask for the IP address of visitors. And if you read the warrant, it says that so.
0: But that's um, like if you're a Fox News host and you went to that website in order to you know warn everybody against the evil dangers of the leftists anarchists and so forth, uh, you would be on that list, right?
1: Yes, yes, you would, David. Yes, that is that is the uh, insidious, insidious nature of it. yeah. Um, but they they dropped that claim. There was still a lot of fighting about um, getting access to communications and listserv discussions. And the judge put some limits on what the prosecution could get. Uh, they had to redact the information of people, and then if, looking at the message they had sent, they found evidence of, of crime. Then they could get the judge to unredact it and probable cause. Uh, the prosecuted claim during the hearing what they were looking for, or an example of what they were looking for, will be a list-served discussion about who was bringing the crowbars to the riot, and I think you and I both know that is an absurd statement. I mean, there's there's no people who... People don't have discussions like that on listservs, And since their they're, they're entire trial is based on political speech, that's also not what they're looking for. They're looking for evidence of speech. With the Facebook uh, hearing, which I also attended, the same, same prosecutor, they dropped the demand for the 6,000 likes, of everyone who likes the page itself, but they claimed they needed uh, a certain likes of criminal posts, uh, and their argument was that a Facebook post like could be probative of criminal intent. For example, if you had liked a post about how to "quote unquote" dress in black block for the riot, that could be an example that you had the intent to riot that day. So it is really ridiculous and another thing to point out is that they raided the homes of one of the organizers and what the police seized as evidence amongst other things were copies of the nation magazine and these times magazine.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a tired tired
1: case so... is a Disaster for civil liberties, and it just keeps getting worse.
0: Maybe, uh, maybe appropriate that the Nation just had an article warning against going after Russia TV as a, you know, as an evil foreign agent. Uh, since the Nation magazine is being picked up as, as evidence of, of nefarious intent itself.
1: Yeah, the, well, the Nation published my article on on J twenty, and they they did publish two really good articles on RT. This week, both won by Katrina Van and and Aaron Matte. And if you didn't read them, I, I highly recommend you do. Um, Defending rights and defendants put out a statement condemning what DOJ did to RT as a threat to press freedom. But I'm not going to go off on that one. But yeah, you're you're right. They have done really good work on that issue, when other left outlets
0: would not. What what really disturbs me about this J twenty prosecution uh, and a lot of what's happening in our culture is the the the, the blurring of any line between criminal activity and activism. Uh, I, I mean, activism as protected by the First Amendment, uh, activism as you know a traditional legal. Uh, if not, you know, praiseworthy and and necessary activity. And I I saw Jeff Sessions testifying in Congress this week, you know, being asked about, you know, doing reports on black identity extremists. And and he's just referring to, you know, extremist activists as if, you know, an activist is is something bad. Uh, Am I right that this is a a new trend being driven by these sorts of prosecutions?
1: Um, I think in some ways you are correct. I mean, Defending Rights and Dissent Traces, it's founding it's back to a group that was opposed to the House Un-American Activity Committee that was founded in 1960. So we've had several decades of taking on sort of the criminalization of activism. So I don't think it's an entirely new trend. I do think it ebbs and flows. I think it ebbs and flows based on the strength of social movements. And I think right now we're seeing a real escalation of it. And I think that's because you're seeing so many successful social movements around issues like Black Lives Matter, around Standing Rock, around policy, human rights, and as a result, you know, the hammer of the state's coming down now. Uh, the blurring of the lines between activism and, and criminality, I think, is a really disturbing point, because in theory, my First Amendment right is individually held. So if you and I, David, go to a protest, and you you do something rallying illegal, you throw a brick. I don't then lose my right to protest just because you did that. I mean, you you get arrested in theory, you lost your right. But my right is still individually held. Um, and what this, this, this case is arguing is that the protest itself is part of the conspiracy. And just by being there, I'm guilty. So there's two descendants who showed up late. And their attorneys tried to have them have their charges dismissed, being like they couldn't possibly know what was going on. They they came late and and the prosecutors like, no, they were trying to find the black bloc. That's evidence of, you know, conspiracy. And it's just it's just so insidious and and ridiculous. And when you look at the quote unquote evidence in the indictment, it's they were chanting whose streets are streets. They were marching together in proximity and, you know, they're using these acts of clearly 1st meant protective expression to try to hold people liable for, you know, basically breaking a Starbucks window. And while breaking a Starbucks window is, you know, technically is, is illegal, I mean, it shouldn't carry 60 to 75 years in prison. I mean, even in that situation, the charges are completely and utterly absurd. The prosecution alleges that the protesters did a $100,000 in damage. The D.C. City Council has spent up now $150,000 investigating police misconduct during that same incident. So uh, maybe the police should be on trial.
0: Uh, I wouldn't be opposed. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so uh, But a trial, you said, of seven individuals out of 214 has, has started, is underway? Do you know yeah, so, so, what's so, happened so 214 there?
1: 214 people were originally charged. There were um, plea deals and stuff like that. So it's down to 194 people are still facing charges. Uh, the first trial of the first seven people who I believe are people who demanded their right to a speedy trial, began on November the 15th. Uh, Opening arguments haven't happened yet. It's still in jury selection. I believe opening arguments were supposed to start on Monday of, of next week, but it seems like they might be delayed until after the Thanksgiving holiday. I've heard murmuring of that. So we're still in the jury selection phase. I plan on going to opening arguments because, if anything, just to hear what the, how the prosecutor attempts to explain their ridiculous behavior. Um, but, I mean, watching these first seven cases is going to be really important because if we get a bunch of acquittal, you know, what's the prosecutor going to do next? It seems like they would then have pressure to drop the rest of the charges because they know it's not going to go anywhere. Will they do that or not? I don't know. If the jury, on the other hand, returns... Guilty verdicts, which I don't see how they could based on the evidence, but I don't see how the grand jury could have returned an indictment based on the evidence, which is which is another interesting issue. If um, you allow me one brief aside, one of the motions the defense filed was to disclose the uh, instructions the prosecution gave on the law to the grand jury, not the whole grand jury hearings, because those are secret, but just what the legal instructions were, because you know, they charge them under a non-existent statute, and the pro- defendant's attorneys argued that, you know, no reasonable jury could bring back an indictment based on this evidence of they were just chanting and stuff like that. You know, what was the legal instructions? The judge denied that. But, mm. um, so if the jury comes back with, with guilty verdicts, though, that's going to bode potentially really bad for the rest of the, rest of the trials and the prosecution will not have an incentive to drop, drop the cases.
0: And, and this is a, a D.C. jury we're talking about, right?
1: The D.C. jury, yes.
0: Um, Chip Gibbons, we have just uh, a few minutes left. Um, I, I know that uh, RootsAction.org, where I work, uh, has signed on to a letter. Um, what's, uh, among other things, what's happening with that and what else can people do to, to get involved if they're concerned about this and want to have an impact?
1: Sure. So the letter that Ruth's action signed on to was a letter initiated by Defending Rights and dissent to the U.S. Attorney for D.C. It's specifically calling for the charges against Aaron Cantu and Alexi Wood to be dropped. Um, it's about the specific concerns with press freedom and how bringing felony charges against journalism, a journalist for covering protest endangers press freedom. And it was signed on by Roots action, D and a number of press freedom groups like PEN America, Freedom of the Press Foundation, Free Press, the Nation Institute. So that letter is specifically focused on the two journalists and defending press freedom. In addition to that, uh, Defending Rights and Dissent is doing a petition drive to the same prosecutor to get all of the charges dropped. Uh, Demand Progress and Free Press are participating in it. Some other groups might as well. And we plan on dropping those charges off sometime, and not charges off, ugh, dropping those petitions off to drop the charges sometime in, in the near future. So if you want to sign one of those, go to rightsanddefense.com and, and do so. Um, and I would say just stay vigilant and, and just, just watch the proceedings as they go along. And you can also donate to uh, DC Legal Posse or any of the, the um, legal defense funds because many of the defendants are from you know, out of town, and it's hard for them to get here, and legal costs are expensive
0: yeah um actually I have about 2 minutes left uh, another aspect of what i see as a as a trend here although obviously not brand new in in world history uh, is that these police are increasingly dressed like they're in the military and talking yeah. like they're in the military and trained by us military and israeli military and so forth uh, how does that relate to this this habit of not treating people as individuals but treating them as as a group because a, military doesn't, you know, blow up I and mean,
1: that's, that's a really valid point. I mean, a local law enforcement, in theory, they purport. They're there to protect and serve the community, uh, whether or not that's what they do or whether or not that's what they really are aiming to do. It's a different story. But in theory, that's what they're doing. Um, you know, militaries invade and occupy and, and fight wars. So if they're embracing this, this, this military aspect, then they're, they're fighting a war. They're waging a war against the community they're supposed to be protecting. And that, you know, that would, you know, contribute to the, you know, get everyone type mentality.
0: And... and- Presumably, that, that could have something to do with uh, the fact that they're not distinguishing individuals as criminals any more than the U.S. military is you know, distinguishing individuals as, as criminals in, in foreign countries rather than blowing up neighborhoods.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, think, I think you've raised a really salient point.
0: Um, it, it's uh, it's an incredible uh, story. I'm glad you're staying on top of it and writing about it. I'm glad the nation uh, is publishing about it. Uh, Chip Gibbons' article in The Nation is called The Prosecution of Inauguration Day Protesters is a Threat to Dissent. We'll have a link to it up at talknationradio.org. Uh, Chip Gibbons is the Policy and Legislative Counsel for Defending Rights and Dissent, uh, as well as an, an active... Journalist, uh, Chip Gibbons, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio.
1: Always a pleasure to be on Talk Nation Radio.
0: This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org.